So I hope that you all are doing well. Happy Resurrection Day to, to you all. We'll talk about more of that in, in just a few moments. But if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. And we're going to read from there in just a, a few moments. Last week in Nehemiah 6, we saw how the, the walls were almost finished. And the opponents and the opposition and the enemies to Nehemiah and to the Jews have were continuing to go after them and after uh, God's people, and especially now, Nehemiah personally. They wanted to deceive him, right? They were slandering him, accusing him, but to deceive him, to kill him. They were seeking betrayal with the prophets of, of the Jews. But how did Nehemiah see through it all? By trusting in the word of God alone. His life was not just about building walls, but his life was about the word of God and being built upon the word of God and for his people's lives to be built upon the word of God. This shows us something, beloved church, as we start this morning and we consider the finishing of the walls as well as the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that just for this morning and for every morning, the question at hand when everything is stripped away is, will we trust the sufficiency of the word of God? Trusting his word for your complete justification. That if it was completely achieved by Christ and his righteousness was imputed upon you, then why are you struggling to earn love and acceptance and approval from God? Do we trust the word of God? Or do we trust that temptation and sin will gratify the flesh in needs and ways that the scriptures and God himself cannot do? Or will we believe that true life, joy, and satisfaction comes by being obedient to the Lord's commands in his word? Trusting the word of God in our lives. For his resurrection and our future resurrection. As Christians, and as Nehemiah's life was, is one of trusting in God's word. The scriptures this morning, as we look to them, we are going to see a very significant event that takes place at the end of Nehemiah 6. In fact, it's the central event in Nehemiah, and that is the finishing of the walls around the city of Jerusalem. So let's look to Nehemiah chapter 6, and let's begin reading in verse 15 together. So the wall 
was finished. On the 25th day of the month of Elul, the 52 in 52 days, and when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by an oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son, Jehonaan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Chapter 7, verse 1. And when the walls had been built, and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers and the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani, and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they are stand, still standing guard, let them shut the bar and the doors, appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts, and some at the front of their houses. Verse 4, the city was wide and large, but the people within, within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. This is the word of the Lord, and may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear and see his holy, inspired, and inerrant word for his glory and our joy. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single most important event in all of history. Far more important than the finishing of these walls in Jerusalem. The crucifixion and the resurrection is not just another important event or another important date in history as, as some would Remark, but it is something that has truly changed the trajectory of all of history. It changed how we measure time from BC to AD. It marks the beginning of the new covenant. And in that new covenant, he has changed the way we relate to God. Meaning how now through the work of Christ on the cross in his resurrection, man now can be reconciled to him for their sins, before their God in their sins, and be forgiven of their sins. The resurrection is what the Apostle Paul tells the church is what is of first importance. He said, for I deliver to you as of first importance, what I also received, 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scriptures. This is the gospel, the gospel story, the good news of Jesus Christ. The resurrection, the cross, and the resurrection. This includes the pardoning of our sin in Christ. The promise of eternal life based upon the principles of righteousness that is imputed to us or given to us on our behalf, not in any consideration of any of our works or any of our righteousness that we have done, but solely through faith alone in Christ alone and in his substitutionary work alone on the cross. And when we put our faith in him, his perfect righteousness is freely imputed upon us by God, making us new and as Christ. And that brings us peace and favor before God. A righteousness that is not our own, but a righteousness that is Christ's. And we are reconciled, we are redeemed, and it secures every other blessing today and for all eternity. This is what we believe here at Sovereign Grace Church. This is why the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection was, was appointed to him by our sovereign God in order to bring about the salvation of his people for his glory. This is the central foundational belief of all of Christianity. This is what this Sunday is all about. But in fact, as we all know, or should know, and if you don't, you will, this is what every Sunday is about. When we gather three weeks from now, Lord willing, if he tarries, it will be because of the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Happy Resurrection Day, today and forever. So even in Nehemiah, chapter 6, Moving into chapter 7 a little bit, we rejoice in the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we have come to the height of our book in Nehemiah. The restoration of the walls around the whole city of Jerusalem are completed, led by this faithful, godly leader that God had raised up. They're looking at the walls, and they're finished. Everything is done. Can you imagine the, the elation of the people? Can you imagine the, the sigh of relief that this project, which seems so heavy and so burdensome and so difficult, is now done? The sense of pride of seeing the walls that, that each of their hands and their family members have taken part to rebuild is, is done and it's completed. Such pride in that work. Knowing that every sacrifice that was made was worth it now that the walls are built. The blood, the sweat, the tears for this project are now done. 
And during such an immense time of social upheaval and threats and violence that could have come upon them from these outsiders, and yet they persevered and the walls are completed. I know how pleased and I know how satisfied I am when I get done mowing my lawn and I look out at my grass and my lawn and I say, that looks a lot better, doesn't it? And I drink a little bit of the cold water and I take just a little bit of pride in finishing that job that really my lawnmower did all the work. So I am sure that they were elated, as any one of us would be, in finishing something that is long and hard and difficult, relieved, excited to go rest at home, to spend time with family, to go back out in the fields and, and work the crops again. But we don't get that elation and happiness from Nehemiah. We got it from Ezra when the temple was rebuilt, but we, we don't get that from Nehemiah. There's no wall dedications. There's no ribbon-cutting ceremonies. There's no parties, or at least what we see here. No award ceremonies and honoring Nehemiah and the other leaders and those who gave great sacrifice. Instead, what we get from Nehemiah is he tells us directly of more strife. He tells us more, more slander that comes his way from the moron Tobiah. For Nehemiah... To him, there is still more to do. There's still more leadership required. That just because the walls are done, that doesn't mean that we're done. Things aren't done yet. The kingdom's not here yet, boys. We got to keep going. The walls are done, but this doesn't change a thing. It doesn't change anything for Nehemiah. It doesn't change anything for the people. It changes some things, as we've read in the passage. But the work is not finished. It is not done. It is not completed. In verse 15, the walls are done. The gates are done. The doors are done. They started work in August, and 52 days later, as it says, somewhere around October-ish, they were finished. Nehemiah has been in town for six months, and he accomplished in six months what they couldn't do in a decade. It's an amazing accomplishment. I've never built walls around a city. I can imagine that's a pretty big accomplishment. Verse 16 tells us, and I believe verse 16 is probably the most important verse in this passage, okay? And it says, and when our enemies, Nehemiah rightly labeling this opposition, heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. 
This verse here is what you would call a game changer. This is a, a game changing verse, right? One of the reasons why uh, college football is so popular these days, and why college football is just so popular in general, uh, is because in the midst of a college football game, momentum can shift quickly, right? I, I wanted to bring up the example of uh, when Georgia played Alabama in the, in the national title game a couple years ago, because that is just the perfect example, but I won't. But what can happen is, is one team can be dominating a whole half of a game. I mean, they, they're just running the ball all over them. They're bracking the points up. I mean, it, it, it looks like it's in. Get through half, do the same thing, win the game. But in the second half, a game-changing moment can shift everything. An interception can change a ball game. And change the momentum in college football, I mean, like that. That's a game-changing moment. The interception is a game-changing moment. And when these walls were built, in the eyes of the enemies, they just threw a massive interception. The game hasn't changed. Where they once had all the power, they had all the talent, they had all the security, they had all the strength, they had all the momentum. They had the whole upper hand over everything, the whole ball game. And just like that, it's gone. All the nations that surrounded them, with all their threats and accusations and sanctions, all of those who had this complete upper hand are now what? They're afraid. They're afraid. In fact, it told us, it says, they fell greatly in their own esteem. Do you know what that means? I like what the New American Standard translates it. It says, they lost their confidence. For those who've seen me play golf, I take one swing and I lose my confidence. There is a great reversal that takes place here, isn't there? A great reversal of things is amazing. Those who are now projecting the fear are the ones now afraid. All the prayers that we have heard by Nehemiah have, are being answered and continue to be answered as God himself has been aiding the work all along. The enemies have seen what has been done in only 52 days. The frustration that the enemies have faced trying to oppose them. And listen, their only logical conclusion is what? God has been with this people and has helped them. And it terrified them. Such an amazing verse, and we're going to talk more about that in a few moments. But however, as the many as the enemies were now afraid, verse 17 tells us of some collusion between some Jewish nobles and Tobiah to work against Nehemiah even after the walls were done. Now listen, Tobiah, he isn't a Jew. He was an enemy of the Jews. 
Nehemiah named him that, labeled him that, because that's what he was. He was an enemy of the Jews, but he was colluding with other Jews throughout the whole project to work against Nehemiah. And it gets worse. Look at verse 18. Because we see how this collusion happened. The problem, as verse 18 tells us, the problem and where the collusion came from between Tobiah and these Jews was from this, the ugly sin of intermarriage. Do you remember we talked about that back in Ezra 10? And it has reared its ugly head once again. Tobiah is connected through marriage with a Jewish family. He has family connections which gave him business connections. And Jewish nobles here were going to stick with Tobiah no matter what and not Nehemiah. And not with Nehemiah. I mean, family is family, right? Blood is thicker than water always, isn't it? Nehemiah is not family. Tobiah is family. Nehemiah is just Nehemiah. They worked with Tobiah. They spied for Tobiah. They rubbed it in Nehemiah's face of how great Tobiah is and how terrible Nehemiah is to lead their people in such a futile work. Little voices of doubt. Little voices. But no, Nehemiah, as we see, sticks to the work. With no parties or even giving in to Tobiah, he continues to lead. Leadership didn't change at the end of finishing the walls. Chapter 7, verse 2, Nehemiah delegates the, the burden of leadership to others, trusted friends and brothers, Hananiah and Hananiah, who, as we are told, back in chapter 1, Hananiah was the one who came to Nehemiah when he was still in Persia and told him of the condition of the city. He notes the, the qualities of these men, of being more faithful and God-fearing than many others. Godliness and faithfulness was paramount for any leader in Israel at this moment of transition, and Nehemiah knew it. Nehemiah then establishes the rules of the city, the safety precautions to be continually vigilant and to stay on guard. He appointed the, the Levites and the gatekeepers around the city to keep the outsiders out and to keep everyone alert to the enemies that still existed outside the city. This is our passage. And this is very good news. We've been building up to this in our study of Nehemiah, big news that the walls are completed. And now the enemies are afraid. And it tells us how the Lord is victorious and triumphant in helping his people. So what in the world does any of this have to do with us? And what does this have anything to do with Resurrection Day.
think from this passage there are several lessons that we can gain, right? We could certainly have several different kind of applications or implications of the passage, such as let's trust in the Lord for, for the work that he has called us to do and believing and knowing that God will work through us and use us and he will accomplish his work through us. Amen. That's in the passage. That if we are resisting the enemies, we're called to resist the enemies with truth. We see the importance of, of leadership. Again, from Nehemiah, the importance of delegating leadership as appropriately. Several different things we can learn from this passage. But I think this passage is pointing to us to something greater. I think it's foreshadowing something for us that is greater. That even though the walls were done, Nehemiah knew himself there was still much more to do. The work wasn't completed. Things still weren't right. The enemies were still there. There were still struggles. There were still haters and sin and the neglect of God's word, the false prophets and oppression and slavery and vulnerability. All of these still existed. The shalom that they had been promised, that it is good that they have been promised, still hasn't happened, even with the walls being built. Last week we saw how they were still looking for a king. Nehemiah wasn't the king, but they were looking for a king that would come and deliver them and, and restore them from all of this anguish and evil. Brothers and sisters, I believe that this passage this morning is foreshadowing and pointing forward to the coming king. To the coming king who would not come to build walls, but who would come to be a king who would build a people. A king who would suffer on a cross for his people in order to bring reconciliation Redemption, righteousness, and salvation. Their longing, and this longing, this always working and striving to better ourselves, to even gratify our, our flesh, and this striving to be a better person, all of these things that we shoot for in this life seems to never end, does it? It's a constant work. It's a constant striving. That we may finish one area, but then there's always more. Mankind has always attempted to save themselves one way or another. Mankind in their, the deepest of their hearts knows that something is broken. Something in this world is broken and something in their own hearts is broken. Something that they can't build, something that they can't repair or fix on their own. They've tried billions and billions and now we're in the trillions is being spent on, for, by people to fix what is inherently broken in all of us. The walls in Jerusalem may be finished, 
but the work was not done. But when Christ came and died on the cross, he said, it is finished. The work of salvation is completed by him. Brothers and sisters, as the walls in Jerusalem were finished, so is the work of salvation completed by Jesus Christ on the cross. Except for there's one massive difference. The work in Jerusalem, it still continued. But the work on the cross is completed. It is finished. The work of salvation is finished. John 19, 30, as we just quoted, and just as Jesus died, he cried out, it is finished. And it didn't take the work of the man's hands. It didn't take 52 days, but only three days. The Son of God was raised from the dead. He is alive, and in his resurrection, we know that the work of salvation is completed. Atonement has been completely accomplished. The salvation for sinners and the forgiveness of sin is completed in Christ alone. Walls were not going to be the salvation of God's people from their sin. It would not deliver them from the evil of their enemies. It would not deliver them from sin and death. They needed a savior. They needed a king who would come and bear a cross in order to atone for them. That was the restlessness that still continued even though the walls were built. The walls were important. They were very important for the safety and the security of Jerusalem, but even more. They were pointing to the Lord who loved them and who would ultimately provide for his Messiah, a Savior, in his Son, Jesus Christ. So I want to spend the rest of our time this morning showing you a few ways on how our passage parallels to the victory that we receive in Christ because of his death, burial, and resurrection. The first one is this. The work of the wall and the work of the cross was accomplished in the face of opposition from the enemy. The theme since like chapter 4 has been nothing but these enemies, right? We got more details about the things that they were doing than, than how they were actually building the walls. They were constantly coming against the, the, the Lord's people during their work. In Nehemiah, we've seen these the three oppressors, and today another one, the, uh, one of those was named, Tobiah, once again. Oppressors that were uh, coming against them. There were those who were within the, the people who were enslaving their brothers for their financial gain. There were those who were slandering Nehemiah's character and his motive to be obedient to the Lord. And even there were prophets who were betraying them. And now, again, here, Tobiah, who had all his influence and his tentacles everywhere, including the, the nobles in Jerusalem. And yet, guess what still happened? 
the walls were finished. Did not Jesus have opposition? Did not Satan himself come, come to Jesus in order to attempt him to sin, to distrust his father's plan, to not seek and save the lost or sinners, but to save himself and to seek his own kingdom? And yet, Jesus overcame. Was Jesus not questioned over and over again? Every bit of his motive? Was Jesus not slandered as, as one being born illegitimately? Was he not attacked and condemned for breaking the law because he healed the sick and the lame on the Sabbath? Was Jesus not accused of being a blasphemer because he said that he and the Father were one? Was Jesus not called a devil for raising the dead? Was Jesus not opposed over and over again for the great works and miracles that he was doing? Was there not also a plot to condemn and kill Jesus? Wasn't he also betrayed like Nehemiah? by one of his closest followers, Judas, who led these enemies to come and to arrest him? Was Jesus not falsely accused of being a rebel, that he would be a false king to overthrow the Roman emperor, like Nehemiah? But unlike Nehemiah, did the enemies of Jesus get their hands on him? And did they beat him? And did they crucify him? The answer to all of these questions is yes. But despite the opposition, despite the accusations, despite the slander, despite the murder. The plan of evil could not stop the will of God. For it was God's will for the cross. For it was God's will for, for the cross to finish the work of salvation. The enemies sought to crush and to stop the will of God by, by killing Jesus. But it was God's will for his son to be crushed, to be crucified by, by on the cross. And for him to be raised from the dead, Jesus would turn it around and he would crush the head of the snake, defeating sin and death. Doesn't this so much teach us about the sovereignty of God? Doesn't the resurrection and the cross teach us about the sovereign hand of God? Doesn't this reassure us in times of darkness that what was meant for evil, God has meant for good? And if you have faith in him, then on your behalf, the work of the cross 
has completed the work of salvation. And so all of our restlessness and striving to accomplish something on our own needs must cease to that. To stop believing any notion that we can accomplish our own salvation. Because in the cross and at the cross, it is finished. Second, one of the outcomes of the completion of the wall and the work of the cross is we see a great reversal of fear. A great reversal of fear. The enemies of Israel and Nehemiah the whole time had one intent, to bring great fear upon the people so that they would be paralyzed and they would not do what God had called them to do. But remember verse 16. All the nations fell to great fear. Why? Because the walls were finished. And they fell greatly in their esteem. This is the great reversal of the power and prestige and the humiliation that is the work that only God can do. Fear is what kills and debilitates us. Fear is the goal. Fear is the place in which we are supposed to live in. Fear is the miry pit that we are supposed to be. It is the same goal as Israel's enemies as it is the same goal as our enemy. These are the points of the fiery darts to intimidate and to fear so that you would be weak, that you would be under constant attack of temptation and accusation. And truly, if you are not in Christ, then hear me, there is much to fear. If you are not in Christ, there is much to fear, not just because of an enemy, not just because of sin, not just because of death, but more than that, the eternal judgment of a holy and righteous God. That is an enemy that we will face where none can stand. All of us stand guilty and condemned before a holy and righteous God. Our conscience condemns us. Creation all around us is growing up, groaning around us. You sinners! But, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God has accomplished this great work. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ reverses then the effects of fear. As Christians, we still fear God in a healthy, biblical fear, but we no longer fear this world. 
If you are in Christ, we no longer fear this world. We no longer fear death. And we no longer fear judgment. Why? Because Christ has accomplished our victory over those things. Christ has overcome. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You're no longer slaves to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Sons, whom we cry, Abba, Father. We're saying, Father to who? To our Heavenly Father, to God, the Creator, the Maker, the Sustainer of all things, the One who raised the sun this morning, the One who made the frost upon the grass so early this morning. And every day since the beginning of time has done these things to the glory, to the praise of His name, and who has sent His Son upon the cross. That is our Abba Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness. The Holy Spirit is given to us to bear witness with our spirit, telling us, you're a child of God, you're a child of God, you're a child of God. Stop fearing. It's done. It's been reversed. Remember the cross. Remember Christ. And if children, then heirs. You mean it gets better? A rich, glorious inheritance. Fellow heirs with the Son of God. With Christ. There should be absolutely more amens when we read Romans 8. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And meaning we're still living this life in a fallen world. But that is the foundation, the solid rock by which we are building our lives our families, our church. That you are no longer slaves to sin and death. Doesn't that take away fear? Kill fear with the gospel. That we are heirs. And that we are children of God. Brothers and sisters, how is all of this accomplished? How is God the just and the justifier in making sinners who are enemies of God, haters of God, detesters of God, now co-heirs with Christ? The work of the cross. And the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. We fear not condemnation from God if you are in Christ. Because Christ's work is finished. The work of our reconciliation and our redemption and the forgiveness of our sins is completed in Christ alone. More Romans 8.
So give you some redemption on some amens. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also with him graciously give us all things? Verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? And who is at the right hand of God? And who is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Danger? Sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure of this, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all of God's people say, Amen. Who can condemn? Who can separate? Who can condemn? Who can separate? No one. Nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And why? Because God is our justifier, not you. That gives us assurance. That gives us strength. That when the accuser comes, when temptation comes, and fear descends, we look to our justifier. And when there are little whispers in our ears from the minions of Tobiah that says, you're not good. You can't do it. Look, you, you failed. What a disappointment you are. How dare you call yourself a Christian? And we remember in the solid rock, the truth of the Bible, what it says. We already know we don't deserve any of this. We know that we are a sinner. And we know that we have deserved nothing but the just wrath of God. But thanks be to God... Thanks be to God, through Christ, he has justified me. And now my righteousness is not my own, but Christ's righteousness. You see, the fear of death, judgment, and the world has been what? Reversed. The people in Nehemiah were afraid. And now, as God accomplished the work through them, now what? The world's afraid. 
Why does the world hate God? Why does the world want to oppose God? Because deep down they fear him. And they fear the wrath and the judgment that will come their way. You see, the fear of death, judgment, world has been reversed. How? By the cross and his resurrection. And the reversal of that fear is finished. And lastly, the completion of the walls and the work of the cross was perceived by all, by all that it was God who had accomplished this work. It wasn't just Nehemiah who had perceived that it was God who had accomplished the work, but it was their enemies. It was clear to them that although they saw people working and they were stacking the blocks and the rocks and mixing the mortar and moving the boulders and that it all had been accomplished in 52 days, they had perceived and they knew that it was God who had accomplished the work, that it was the hand of God that was with them. God had raised up Nehemiah and sent him, given him the, the blessings and the authority through the king, King Artaxerxes. God had given the people a heart to be obedient to the call of God to rebuild these walls. God had aided them when their enemies came against them. God had removed the obstacles and had frustrated their enemy time and time again. They knew it, and they saw it, and the walls were finished, and they were afraid, and they knew that it was God who had done this work. After Jesus died on the cross, when he was all alone, when all of his followers had left him there, there was a Roman centurion who witnessed every part of the crucifixion of Jesus. And when he saw Jesus die and take his last breath, this Roman who had overseen the crucifixion said this, certainly this man was innocent. And he praised God. After Jesus was resurrected, all of his followers saw what God had done. And they followed him with a great conviction and resolve. After Peter preached the, the great sermon on, on Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit indwelt his church, many of the Jews and many of the, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, who just 50 days earlier were crucifying Christ and wanted Jesus to die on the cross, now came to Christ confessing their sins and following Jesus. And why? Because they believed Jesus was the Lamb of God who took away their sins. Because it was God who had sent his Son to be their Savior, to be the Messiah. Galatians 4.4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. God sent forth his Son. 1 John 9-10. 1 John chapter 1, 9-10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. The love of God, Christ, was made manifest among us. How do we know God loves us? Because he sent his son. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. 
in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins, which means that is to appease, to satisfy the wrath of God that was toward us in our sin. And one day, and one day, when our Savior, Jesus Christ, returns, he will make all things new. And when he does, everyone will acknowledge. Everyone will acknowledge, and they will be afraid. They will lose their self-confidence, and they will worship this sin-killing, death-subduer king of kings. Philippians 2, Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You see, in Nehemiah's day, they recognized that it was the work and the hand of God, and one day all will recognize Christ. The work of salvation is completed. And so the question this morning to us is, do you recognize that? Do you understand that this was a work of God in Christ so that you could be forgiven of your sins and that you could be brought into right relationship with the Lord? You can't your faith and trust in him. Repent of your sins. Trust in Christ and his work. Cease striving. Cease letting fear rule you. The walls were finished, but as we see in Nehemiah, there was still so much that needed to be done. Christ completed salvation and the forgiveness of our sins of our salva- and our salvation so that there is nothing we can do to accomplish it. It's finished. We only repent of our sins. We turn from our sins. We believe. We trust. And we put our faith in Christ Jesus as our Savior. And now... As Nehemiah began to bring the great reforms into the city and to establish a community in which faith was alive and real, the walls were the goal, yes. But underneath that goal of of building the walls, the purpose was one thing, worship. To worship God. The whole purpose was for the, the worship of God. Brothers and sisters, the purpose of our redemption into bringing sinners into a place where God is worshipped, where God is glorified, where God is delighted in. They would have that day gazed at the walls in pride, and they certainly would have thanked God. But brothers and sisters, because of the cross and the resurrection of Christ, we gaze at Jesus. The cross 
in his resurrection, as he has been revealed to us in the word of God, and we worship him, we praise him, we glorify him, and we delight in him in all things. Happy Resurrection Day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. And Heavenly Father, would you use your word to accomplish your will in our lives this morning, whether that is to call us to salvation, repentance of sin, or greater delight and love to you, or forgiveness of sin for where we have given into fear, fear in this world and fear of death or fear of judgment. Lord, we pray that you would use your word according to your will for your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.